Well, today we're going to carry on our series in spiritual disciplines. Um, and last week we looked at love um, as a spiritual discipline, not as a fruit of the Spirit, not as a basis for what God does, not as a how we should respond to God as such, but love is a spiritual discipline. And some people have said, that's, that's a weird choice as a spiritual discipline. Um, but if we define spiritual discipline as things that we need to actively work at and deliberately push ourselves to become better at in order to reflect Christ better and to know Christ better, then love should be one of the primary spiritual disciplines we should work at, shouldn't it? If, it's something, if a spiritual discipline is something that we need to improve on in order to reflect Christ to a world who doesn't know Christ, if our lives, so our lives can be more godly so they can know God, then love should be first on the list of spiritual disciplines. And we are going to get to the standard spiritual disciplines. We, we will get to some of them throughout the course of this series. But today I thought that we're going to, let's have a look at another um, topic in spiritual disciplines that again isn't usually regarded as a spiritual discipline. But again, I would argue that we need to get this right if we're to reflect Christ to a world, which is what we're called to do. And so today's topic is worship. Again, as I said, worship's not something you usually hear in a spiritual discipline series. Um, but we're going to explore it today. Worship. Now, actually, before we start, let's pray. Let's pray and then we'll get cracking. Father, I, I do ask you that we understand you today that your Holy Spirit will be working in our hearts and in our minds and in our ears so we hear you today, so we can worship you the way you desire. We ask this in your Son's name. Amen. So, welcome back, Mark. <laughs> Good to see you, buddy. <laughs> For those listening... Who, who aren't here today, Mark Dallywood has come to visit us. <laughs> and it's uh, good to see you, Mark, because I know you've missed us a lot. And everyone's missed you. So this question is just for Mark. <laughs> just for Mark. Mark, you know what day it is today? Got to be something else. It's actually, I'll help you out because I'm a nice guy. What was that? It, no. It's actually World Spine Day. World Spine Day. World Spine, as in your backbone, spine. World Spine Day. Now, if we think of... I actually found that quite interesting because if we think of love as 
the heart and mind of a Christian life, then worship should be thought of as your spine in a spiritual sense. Because if your spine's not working as it was designed to work, then you are limited as in terms of how God intended the human body to work. Your spine is really important to how you function as a person. And if your spine is not working well, then life becomes harder. And you've got a lot more hurdles you've got to overcome. You can't function as well as other people. You also have other gifts that other people don't have. But your spine is so important to how your body functions. And worship is so important to how you function as a Christian. When we understand worship the way that the Bible teaches. And that's what we're going to look at today. So we're going to tackle some of the big questions in great depth today with worship. And the first big question we're going to tackle is should we worship God? Yes. Right. Tackle that one. Next question we're going to tackle. Why? Why should we worship God? Because he's God. If he's not God, we don't worship him. Doesn't deserve a iota of time. But if he is the sovereign, all-powerful, all-creating, all-loving, all-authoritative God, doesn't he deserve worship? <laughs> if that's what he is, and if he's not that, scrap him. So, now we've dealt with the two big issues of worship. Let's move on to other things. Like, what is worship? What is worship? When I say the word worship to you, what am I saying to you? Worship all sorts. The Bay City Rollers, if you want. It's not just an emotional exaggeration or a mystical consciousness. That's not worship. Worship is a presentation of our entire being. Okay? So what does that mean? That sounds all real fancy. We've done a lot of worships not. So what is worship? Here's a really good definition that I found. I really like this as a definition of worship. It is to hold something up with such reverence, honour and esteem that your only desire is to bow down before it. Let me say that again. It is to hold something up with such reverence, honour and esteem that your only desire is to bow down before it. That is worship. And you can worship anything you want. You can worship God. You can worship the Bay City Rollers. You can workish. You, you, you can worship Turkish delight. You can worship a car. You can worship a holiday. You can worship a house. You can worship a lifestyle. You can worship your job. But to worship, in a broad sense, is to put that as number one priority, which everything else comes after. That's worship. I was listening to an interview with Tom Cruise recently, and 
Some of you may know that this year Tom Cruise, or they released the movie Top Gun Maverick, which is Top Gun 2. And the original Top Gun was released when I was nine years old, and that was the big hit when I was nine and ten years old, Top Gun. And I enjoyed that movie, and I haven't brought myself to see this one yet, just in case they ruin my memories of childhood and scar me. But I was watching this interview with Tom Cruise, and they were saying it's well done on the movie, blah, blah, blah. A lot of people have really enjoyed the movie. And he says, yes, it's quite incredible just how many people um, have really appreciated what um, the movie does with the character Maverick and how people have given themselves to Maverick and see themselves fulfilled because of how, how we've treated Maverick. And what he's saying is there are people in the world, there are many people in the world who are worshipping this movie character. It's not even a movie actor. They're not even worshipping Tom Cruise, the person. They're worshipping Maverick, which is a character, a completely fictional character which Tom Cruise portrays. Because they're placing such importance and dedication and commitment to Maverick. And the Bible's quite clear that there's only one person who is deserving of all our focus and attention and our desire and our honour and our worship. And that's God. That's God. He's the only one worthy of that. And if we work through the, the Bible in the Old Testament, part of worship was the sacrifice of animals and the shedding of the animal's blood. And the animal was taking the place of the person. And as we've mentioned before, when a person took an animal in to be sacrificed for them, it wasn't a case of they walk in with a cow and they go, there you go, priest, sacrifice, and they take off. It was a case of they actually had to put their hands on the cow as the priest killed the cow. They saw the cow going, getting killed and getting sacrificed. They saw the blood happen. And we're very uh, sanitised in the West today because we don't really see any of that. But back then, you actually had to watch this animal getting killed on your behalf. And all that was pointing forward to the time when the Messiah, Jesus, would come and shed his blood for us once for all. And so what does worship mean for us in a post-resurrection state? We don't need to sacrifice animals anymore, do we? In order to shed blood, because Jesus has shed his blood for us. Well, Paul says in Romans 12, 1, Therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Present your bodies, present your life, present your everything to God. Everything you do in your life is supposed to be an act of worship to God. Now, 
How can I say 24-7, every single thing in your life is meant to be given to God? Well, let's just go back to pre-Jesus for a second and these animals that were sacrificed, right? How committed was the animal to the sacrificial process? Well, completely. The animal died. <laughs> you don't read too many stories of an animal having a leg cut off and hobbling away. <laughs> the animal dies. He is fully committed. And so if we are to worship God, we need to be fully committed to God 24-7. And that's what Jesus prays when he prays in John 17. Did you pick up on the two readings? Or as Denise read those two readings today, did you sit there thinking, what is he talking about today? <laughs> they are two very odd readings. And they may appear even more odd now that I've spent 15 minutes talking about worship and identifying worship as our topic for the day. They seem very weird readings, don't you think? Good. But if we go to the John reading, Jesus is praying to the Father. The situation in John 17 is he's just spent a number of hours talking with his disciples because it's the night before his betrayal. That's the scene in which he prays what he just what Denise read out. He's praying it to the Father for himself. Then he goes on to pray for the disciples and then he goes on to pray for those who be come to know him later on including us but this is the prayer that jesus prays to the father for himself and if you go to verse three now this is eternal life that they know you the only true god and jesus christ whom you have sent and jesus doesn't pray that for his own benefit he prays it that we know eternal life that eternal life only happens through jesus and that was the purpose in why Jesus was sent. To bring us back to the Father. We throw, as, as Christians, and a lot of people talk about eternal life, and we throw the words around, I'm looking forward to eternal life, I have eternal life. Eternal life, if you break down the meaning of that, that is forever joining with God face to face, because that's what life really is. Life is not just existing Life, in a biblical sense, is being united with God face to face and being able to worship him. That is life. And so it's forever being with God, praising him. Isn't that awesome? And that's why Jesus came, so that we could forever be taken back to the Father and worship the Father face to face and be in his presence permanently. And Jesus is saying, that's why I came. And then in verse 4, he says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And here's the key verse in why I picked out this little reading. In other words, in everything Jesus did on earth, it was to worship 
the Father. It was to bring the Father glory. It was to worship the Father in His preaching, in His teaching, in His miracles, in His eating, in His interactions with His disciples, in His walking along the road to get from one town to the next because the car was in for a service. In everything they did, in everything Jesus did, it was in order to bring glory to the Father, to worship the Father, so that others would worship the Father. In everything Jesus did, it was worshipping God. And there's our example. So then he prays that he is glorified as he was before the creation of the earth. And obviously we went around before the creation of the earth, but we too can pray and we should be living so that we can know God as God intended. Because when God did create the heavens and the earth, it was that we would what? Know him. And I don't mean intellectually know him, I mean know him. Truly know him. And we don't. We think we do. We think we're smart. And believe me, I've had lecturers at college who have forgotten more than I'm ever going to know. They are that smart. There are lecturers there with IQs of 10,000. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about knowing God. And as we know God more, our lives will worship God more. And so if we turn to Colossians, and I didn't have Denise read this out, but if we turn to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, and verses 15 to 17, let me read it. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And there's one little thing I want to pick up on in that passage. And there's a lot there. We could, you could spend an entire sermon on those, on those verses right there, that short little reading. But the one thing I want to pick up on there is the beginning of verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, whatever you do. It doesn't matter. We're not talking about the two hours on a Sunday morning if you can find the time to get to church. I'm talking 24-7. Every single thing you do, you do it in the name of Jesus. And we, we say that, and yes, we go, yes, we should live 24-7 for God and all that sort of stuff. But that's only half of, of, of what I really want to hit here. The other half is where it says, in the name of Jesus, because we don't get that in the West today. We, we truly don't understand 
the, the impact of saying do it in the name of Jesus because back then someone's name had massive messages to everyone they met. A person's name was a reflection of who they were. It sent a message to the person. Peter. Who remembers what the word Peter, the name Peter means? Rock. And so when Jesus changes his name from Simon to Peter, he's saying, I want you to be known as the rock. And we don't get that in the West because we don't put much value on the meaning of names. But when we, whatever we do 24-7, it should be done knowing that it is going to either worship or tear down and insult Jesus, the name of Jesus. What does your name mean? You know what Andrew means? I feel like false advertising here, but this is what Andrew means. Andrew means manly, strong. That's true. That's what, that's what Andrew means. I took the liberty of looking up what Catherine means. Do you know, do you know what Catherine means? What's your meaning? Yes, pure. Catherine means pure. And that's not false advertising. <laughs> Let me put that on record. We're recording, aren't we, Adam? Cool. That's on the record. But what does your name mean? Does anyone else know what their name actually means? The princess. The princess. The Anne is the princess. Okay. Joe? What's that? Sorry. God's grace for Joanna. Natalie? Christmas tree. <laughs> Christening. Anyone else want to throw out their, what, what their name means? Cheryl means dear one. I think little Rose for Rosanna. Anyone else? Either way, either way, my point is, in the West today, we don't really... When, when I look at Catherine, I go, oh, that's Catherine. Now, yes, I think she's pure, because she's my wife. But that's, we don't think of in terms of meanings of names. But back then, it had massive consequences. And so what... What Paul's saying in Colossians is everything you do is either going to glorify or de-glorify. It's either going to build up Christ or it's going to tear him down. It's going to insult him. Everything you do. And when we start thinking about it in that terms, and that, that sounds very all-encompassing, doesn't it? Good, it's meant to. <laughs> because... Worshipping God is not just a two-hour thing you do on Sunday. It's what happens when you drive out the street. It's what happens when you're at the shops. It's what happens when you're at work. It's what happens when you go play golf. It's what happens when you are at the knitting club. It's what happens what, 
whether you work or not, it doesn't matter because your week is full of things. Everyone's week is full. And what you do with whatever time you, you have and whatever you fill your time with ought to be done to build Jesus up. And that is true worship, 24-7. As we drive along the road, often, and I was speaking with our visitor earlier who works at a transport company in Sydney, and I was saying how I used to work in couriering in Sydney and driving trucks and whatnot. What I didn't mention was that I think on estimation... Probably about 75% of couriers in Sydney have lost their licence. At some point, they will have lost their licence. And out of those 75% who have lost their licence, about 98% of them will have kept driving, even though they didn't have a licence. Now, that may come as a shock, but that wasn't the point. The point was, how would you drive if Jesus was sitting right next to you in the car? Often we drive like, is there a policeman around? No? Okay, well, I'll go a little bit faster. Oh, there's a policeman. I'll slow down now to the speed limit. Well, oh, see, you're meant to be doing the speed limit anyway, aren't you? And I say that to myself very much as well. I'm not, I'm not claiming that, that I'm perfect on the road. But we drive according to what's around us. But what about Jesus? If we're living lives of worship 24-7, then how we drive reflects Jesus. Regardless of whether there's a policeman around or not, that's almost irrelevant. Because our lives should be being held to a higher standard. What's going to bring glory to the name of Jesus? What is going to worship Jesus? So what do we do with all that? What do we do with all that? Well, here comes the second reading, which you may think is really weird. Genesis. And I know I've mentioned it once before, but you ever stop to think about the fact that even in perfect creation, before the, before the tree, before the serpent, before the sin, before the Adam blaming Eve and Eve blaming the serpent and everyone blaming everyone else, before all that, this is still when it's perfect, there was work to be done. It wasn't sit around on the deck chairs and watch the waves roll in. There was work to be done. There was gardens to be tended to. There were animals to name. Adam must have been the most creative person ever to exist because I'm not sure I could have named every single animal. I can see why he put like four A's in front of some animals' names because he was running out of ideas. Just, oh, I'll stick another A there. <laughs> but there was work to be done. Even in work, God is to be glorified. God is to be worshipped. We are to do work as though we are working for God. Now, you may think, oh, that's easy for you to do because he kind of is your boss. <laughs> You're the pastor. You do work for God. We all work for God. It doesn't matter who is your employer. If you drive a truck, then drive according 
to God. If you install antennas, install antennas as though you're installing antennas for God. If you're mowing lawns at the school, mow them to glorify God. If you're doing maths tutoring, teach people how to actually do it properly as though you're teaching God. Whatever you do. And if you don't work, that doesn't get you off the hook because your weeks are full of other things. Do it as though you're doing it for God. To worship God 24-7. Have I said that enough yet? I'm going to be honest, it's probably going to come out about another four times yet, so just see how we go. So how do we do that? How do we transform ourselves if we accept the, the, the premise that I've put forward that worship is actually a spiritual discipline, then what do we do to encourage that? Where's, where's that going to be based from? Where's this worship going to be based from? Let me read you this passage. Just sit back, close your eyes, you might recognise it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. They, those who belong to Christ have been crucified for the flesh with its passions and desires. We grow in the fruit of the Spirit. As the fruit of the Spirit grows in our lives, our lives will worship God more and more. Why? Because that becomes our character. Not our reputation, our character. Reputation is what other people think of us. Character is who we truly are. Reputation looks around them to see who's around them before deciding how they're going to act character they act the exact same way whether the room's full or whether the room's empty but character they will that's the difference and god cares about our character that's what god is looking to build and a character of worship has fruit of the spirit so what character then encourages fruit of the spirit i hear you ask Amazing we are on the same wavelength. Let me read another passage to you. This one might be familiar as well. Hopefully. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes, the very series we went through early in the year, 
That is the character of heaven. That is the character of the kingdom. That is the character we are to develop in our lives because as we work through them, and we don't need to go through that series again because it's all on YouTube, it's all on the church website. You can listen to each one. They're all in order. Adam's done an awesome job. But as we grow in that character, it will produce fruit of the Spirit. As we produce fruit of the Spirit, what happens? Our lives worship God 24-7. It worships it more and more and more. And so worship is not just a church thing. It's not just a church family thing. Worship is something we do the entire week and then we bring that to church with us and we worship God as a family at church but then we take what we do at church and we take that into the rest of the week and the two overlap. The two interact and intermesh. They're not two separate boxes. It's not a week box and a church box and the two shall never meet. The two should be the one box. If we're truly worshipping God, then as we go around after church and we say to people, how's your week been? And what do, you, what do they say back nine times out of ten? Oh, it's pretty good. Oh, it's pretty good. doesn't really matter if it was or wasn't. That's, nine times out of ten, you can guarantee that's going to be their response, can't you? And you go, oh, good. <laughs> Tick. Let me tell you what used to happen when I used to work in a service station. I've done a few jobs over the years. Worked in servos for years. And obviously when you're working in a servo, the job is to serve the customer the fuel and if they pick up a bottle of drink or chips or whatever, get them out of the store as quick as possible. A, to get them out of your hair. B, say that you can serve the next customer and, so, and they can get on their way. And so you'd, you'd always say, oh, g'day, how's your day going? About 95% of the time people go, oh, yeah, good, cool. But about one in 20 people would actually tell you how their day's going. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. I had one person once come in, I'd go, oh, how's your day going? they go, oh, it's awful, and they started crying. Like, oh, damn. <laughs> Hate it when that happens, when they actually be honest with you. <laughs> but we're a family. If you've had a really bad week, then when someone after church says to you, how's your week been? You should be able to say comfortably, it has been Shocking and actually tell them how the week's been. If you don't want to know how someone's week's actually been, can I give you a hint? Don't ask. What was that? But if worshipping is about 24-7, and what we do in church carries into the rest of the week and what the rest of the week carries into church. Does that mean that you have to, become a, have to come to church on a Sunday in order to worship God and be a Christian? Do you have to? No. You don't have to. 
And people often say that, and I'll wrap up after this. People often say, well, parking me, standing in a garage doesn't make me a car. Standing in a church doesn't make me a Christian. I don't need to go to church. That's very true. But if you want to be a bodybuilder, you might want to go to a gym occasionally. And if you want to be a strong and mature Christian that reflects and worships Christ 24-7, you might want to step into church occasionally. And that might mean more than just on a Sunday morning. It might mean a prayer meeting. Did you know that there's a prayer meeting tomorrow night, 7.30 on Zoom? Just throw that out there in case you hadn't heard the rumour. There's Bible studies. There's KYB tomorrow afternoon. There's other Bible studies. That's part of being a church family. It's calling someone in the middle of the week. G'day, how's your week going? And actually sitting there and listening to the, whatever, however their week was, not just putting the phone on the desk and walking away and making yourself a coffee. <laughs> Come back five minutes later, oh yeah, no, wow, <laughs> that must have been tough. <laughs> Put it down, go get a piece of cake, come back. That's not being part of a family. That's not worshipping God. And so let me conclude by simply saying, if we want to be the person that reflects Christ the best, then our lives should be worshipping Christ 24-7. That doesn't come naturally. And we need to work at that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you made it possible for us to know you. We thank you that it's completely up to you and there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do to lose it. But we ask you that this week our lives will worship you in everything we do, be it working, shops, driving, sitting at home, ringing someone. Whatever we do this week, literally, we pray that it brings your name glory and honour. In your son we ask these things. Amen.